Hello everyone and welcome back to the cast of the Unplucked Gems. Today's episode we're going to be discussing Day for Night, the 1994 release from the Tragically Hip. And this album was, like their previous efforts, successful in Canada. Domestic sales had at 300,000 units within the first four days of its release. And it's the first of the band's albums to be- debut at number one on Canadian charts. However, the reaction was allegedly mixed. Because gone are the obvious connections to the blues with the bluesy riffs or slow ballads like Fight or Long Time Running. And this album comes in, on the surface, obviously slower in tempo and significantly darker. And this is an important shift in the sound of the band for me. It sounds to me like they chose to make something different and expand on their sound. While they had success in Canada with the previous albums, they could have stayed the course and chased the radio-friendly hit sound, still trying to break into the U.S. market, but that's not what they did. They went with something completely different. And as a result, you do get some odd types of songs on this album. You still have the undeniable groove and solid riffs that make up hip songs. And I'll say that I believe on this album, many of those solid riffs are coming straight from bassist Gord Sinclair. And you still have the guitars playing so well with each other, weaving together, to create the layer on top of the driving rhythm section, and you have, of course, soaring vocal performances by Gord Downey. Although slightly less frantic than some of the yelling and, and uh, unrestrained performances on the previous albums in songs like Trickle Down or Little Bones, Fully Completely, here he has almost an operatic type tone as he holds notes and soars over the melodies and the soundscapes that are being created by the band. And this album itself has a lot of room. There's a lot of space. There's a lot of room for each band member to operate uh, and bring it all together to create this uh, tapestry. I mean, look no further than opening track Grace 2 to really understand what I'm talking about. And the songs, the songs and the songwriting have a kind of sophistication that maybe weren't in the other albums. And this is what makes this album day for night so intriguing to me and if you haven't heard it if you're coming new to this podcast as a as a as a new hip fan i highly highly recommend that you spend a lot of time with this album because this is sort of a line in the sand where all albums going forward to me will sound more like day for night than they will to any of the ones before it it's like they've added a new type of songwriting tool into their repertoire and it's brought them from the the pubs and the bars and the hard road of road apples and fully completely and now we have a fully realized rock band that's stretching out and building something more than just the classic riff based songs that they were doing and this album to me also has some some personal stories uh, to go with it. It was, uh, I think, first introduced to me by my one of the co-hosts here and good friend, John Gronin. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brad. Good. I, you might remember that uh, the days we spent in high school and, and years after, going to the public library, checking out copious amounts of albums at a time, and then going home and listening to them 
on repeat, basically. And Day for Night was one that popped up in there uh, and really kind of signifies that time for me, but we had a lot of time discussing it. So I'm looking forward to getting back into it with you. But of course, we are also joined by our second co-host, Steve Barg. Steve, what's happening? Uh, I'm doing really well. Just excited to get going here. Good intro. Right. I, I think you nailed a lot of key points there, Brad. Well, yeah, and, and, and let's just uh, give a quick uh, hi to Matt Walkie, man in the boards over there. Matt, how you feeling? Feeling good. How are good. the levels? The levels are good. <laughs> yeah, we've been told the levels are, are spot on today. So yeah. They sound too. spot on. They sound yeah. spot on, guys. So, John, I, you know, I gave my sort of brief take on this album. I think it's... I think there's a lot of interesting stuff lyrically to play with, and like I said, I think it's a whole you know different direction in the sound of the band, um, which is quite interesting. So I'll go to you first, John. What do you what are your uh, initial thoughts, impressions on Day for Night? Yeah, it's interesting that you would say um, line in the sand, and 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 I think too, you you do have to you do have to enjoy the sound of this album to follow the band down the path that they're about to go down. Um, I think that, like, I understand why you would say um, they could have done the easy thing and pursued the hit sound or pursued the studio sound. I, I kind of disagree with you there, though. I don't think they could have been that same um, bluesy band any longer. Uh, I think that uh, the live performances have always dictated the way the albums sound. I, uh, I think that that's the dog wagging the tail sort of thing. Um, and knowing that they had taken this artistic approach to their shows, to their live shows, they had to bring that to the studio. Um, that's my opinion on on why this album sounds so different. The shows had been sounding different, and the band was just changing. I don't think that that it could be dismissed out of hand that well, they could have just kept the same sound going. Obviously, they did go to a different place, but uh, I think that they had exhausted um, you know some of these wellsprings. And um, but 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 another band might not have realize that or might not have been well, you might... know, willing to jump into the void of the next thing you know well, another... so i think that's full credit to them for that another band might not have been so productive i mean this is a driven True. this is a driven band we're talking about albums every one two years through this stretch this is a motivated highly productive band um i i do have some points uh i should i should write off the top say this you know, this album is not uh, my favorite hip album. Um, I think I've been really upfront about what my favorite hip album what is. What was it again? <clears throat> oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I it's think the that... unreleased hip Christmas album that uh, we'll be discussing. <laughs> well, no, I for me, this album wins the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Oh, he's giving out Steve. awards. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Right, keep it with this theme. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, this is a very artistic album. Um, there's a lot of words like uh, that, that get thrown around that typify this album, or in an attempt to typify this album, like dark or, you know, um, I don't know. The, the thing for me that, that really comes through is there's a very 
trance like quality there's a the groove component you know you had said from from our bassist uh a lot of the you know a lot of the hooks and things come from from him the thing is though is that we go one step past groovy and into almost like raga and uh and and trance um this album has a lot of almost spoken word songs um you've got some you know songs like titanic terrarium for example uh some without rhyme scheme at all like nautical disaster and um some songs that have very very little vocal melody like uh, greasy jungle so a lot of the times these songs have a refrain you know you talked about gord's uh you know operatic voice uh, it seems like you know he shifts into that gear for a certain portion of the song for the refrain but the verses uh we'll call them in uh in this album are for the most part very subdued it seems like a very from the notebook album. but do you think do you think that that's i mean i one of the things i also had in my notes was you know there's almost like a lot of juxtaposition you know and that's also in the title day for night right. and there is sort of you know songs that are heavier but they still have like a bounciness to um think you know like inevitability of death or something like this or you have this even within a song you know going from low to to big low to higher but you sure. know so it seems like there's kind of a lot of different things going back and forth it I, tons, tons. I can't stay silent I know, any he's longer champing at the bit. He's honestly champing. i, I uh, <clears throat> the downplaying of this album is fascinating to me i think this is I was not uh, trying one to of downplay. The most I was not trying to downplay. I think it's uh, I was down. Yeah. I was John was definitely downplaying, and really that's hard. to me. I I just couldn't disagree hard honestly downplay. more. Yeah. Um, I think this album was. It definitely it marks a line in the sand. That's a, a word you could use for sure. But this is an album where uh, the intention of them as uh, music writers creating their own sound. Uh, doing it the way they want to do, not being beholden to uh, record companies, not being beholden to thinking they should be writing about their own country. They drop all of that and they work with the producer that they want to work with at the place they want to do th to do it, uh, appreciating their own process to make this. And it is, I think it's a beautiful album, like front mm -hmm. to back. I think it is absolutely uh I'll go, I'm going to use the word breathtaking. And no, I'm not taking a bath with you, with you Brad. It is absolutely <laughs> breathtaking. So, um, so does this, is this your favorite hip album or does it just win the breathtaking? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we're not at that part of the show. Yeah, yet. Let, oh, that's let's true. let Brad Sorry. do the hosting here. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think uh, musically, I, you kind of mentioned everyone except uh, Johnny Faye in the intro Uh Brad and I think the the percussion in this album is yeah. uh, is absolutely top notch. It's definitely layered, and I definitely get your your kind of feel for this album, John, as it being kind of like a, a stream of of conscious at times from Gord. But the band is just it. The, the album flows so well. It's not me. a radio album. Like we can no, admit. In that. fact, they they, they wanted to uh, they they. Um, recorded the demos and they were going to release them as they were and those recordings are out there i hope we get to see them eventually but apparently this has been uh refined quite a bit from its original there's a ton of interesting stuff going on in this album 
Uh, but it to... takes a, it takes a phenomenal amount of confidence, and it's like we've arrived. They've been a band now for you know ten yeah. years. They've been uh, big on the Canadian scene for five, and I think this album is them, uh, you know, standing tall and um, producing something that can be seen as something completely unique uh, in the annals of rock music history and this is their that's to me this is almost like their masterpiece well they talk if that's a hint if that's enough of a hint for you john well they they, (laughs) yeah well i mean the the steve bark masterpiece album award is such an honor but for for for, very coveted for me i i completely understand um that this is uh, an art piece or a changing of the guard. In fact, I mean, do we want to do we want to delve into um, some of the recurring themes in the album? These aren't song specific, but I mean, sure. they do bring up uh, making art in the form of uh, painting. Visual art is brought up lots of times through this. Um, I mean, I don't pretend to understand or know. Uh, Downey's personal life, but he uh, talks about his uh, girlfriend, uh, wife, lover, whatever, uh, whatever you, whatever tag you prefer to put on it, uh, and she is clearly a painter. It's 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 referenced a few times in this. I like in Thugs the song Thugs. I do the rolling, you do the detail. That's a painting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it reminds me of. Um, uh, you know, it reminds me of the Mel Brooks, um, the Mel Brooks movie where he goes, uh, Hitler was a great painter. He could paint in a, an entire apartment in one afternoon, two coats. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's from the producers, but that's the way that Gord, uh, you know, is, is displaying modesty about the way that he would be an artist. I do the rolling. You do mm-hmm. the, you do the details, and yeah, then all, yeah, also, yeah. also in Impossibilium, where where he says your finger starts to wiggle, landscapes emerge. Mm-hmm. I so, think that's yeah. a, actually a really important line in this album, and it's taken from yeah. live performances of the past. I think actually, I might be mistaken, but I think that might be originally from uh, the Highway Girl recording, but sure. definitely one of the Highway Girl rants. Yeah, um, but. Uh, that to me almost is is kind of representative so, of this album. So are we are we celebrating the the courage that the band has in 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 not self filtering? Is that is that the appeal of this album? That well, I don't that, think that's a, the right way to put it. They're not self filtering. The, no, they're not self filtering. That's what I'm I, I, I'm saying. They're I'm sure it's going through that. That's what they are doing. They're they're paying attention to yeah no i i mean more like they're not making compromises uh based on outside pressures there this is a sort of uh exactly like we want to play it uh album like we should just talk about the producer his name is mark vreken uh he's a former roadie uh so he's been with the hip since almost the beginning and he's been there uh, front of house uh, sound mixer. So bringing that guy in to the studio as your producer is kind of a bold statement in saying we won't be cowed and we, we, we certainly won't 
listen to any outside feedback about the way we sound as a band. We're bringing in the guy who works the boards when we play live is going to work the boards in the studio. Yeah. You know, there's no Chris Sangarides, there's no, there's no, you know. Bob Rocks. Yeah, there's no, you know, so there's no studio stooge. This is just them doing hip things. So, but that speaks to what you were saying, where you were talking about the, the, the live show sort of driving the direction, you know, yeah. and, they, and then bring in the guy that you work with on the, on the live show. Exactly. But I think, I think to your point of what are, you know, I think we're celebrating, you know, with this album is that they're just following the, the natural path, you know, like this is the step and we're not afraid to, this is the direction that we all feel we need to go. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it <clears throat> how we know how to do it. Let's do something that we want to do. They're and there's not, the one story think... that comes out a lot about this album too. Is there? This was their one and only appearance on, you know, major U.S. television. They played right. two songs from this album on the SNL. most bizarre song choice too. The most bizarre. Grace um, 2 and Nautical Disaster, I believe. Yeah, two songs that aren't, ra- you know, wouldn't necessarily you would think of as be what you would think of as radio-friendly hits, right? And that's kind of what I was trying to get to Why opening. Sorry, yeah, I don't understand why those would be odd selections. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, lay, it, I'll lay it out for you. Nautical Disaster does not have a rhyme scheme. So, I mean, it's... Uh, it's it also it, doesn't have a chorus. It's the same prog- chord progression throughout the whole thing. It's, yeah, a, but it's if, a very unconventional song, especially uh, to introduce It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing song. Why wouldn't you want to flaunt that? I mean, that would, that's the most... What are they going to do? Something from the, the previous album? Like, it's, a, it's a, one of the best songs uh, on well, the album, for sure. You're right. You're right. Yes, I, it's completely interesting. It's completely unconventional. Do you think this this seems like a band at this point that's going to uh, rely on conventions to, uh, you know, appease? Or, I just, I just am. And Grace too is that's that's a flooring song. That's like. But they're not. They're not like the type of thing that you would think like that. You really tap your foot to. Like it's not like a Little Bones, you know, where you can just. It's you know that it's going to get the crowd pumped up. It's gonna. I feel like this album and these songs. It's like they did these and they performed these on this television show, not knowing what the audience was gonna think. And right. I think our, our sort of dis- prolonged discussion here at the opening of this kind of shows that that there's like, it it evokes a lot more than just you know you hear a, a track like Little Bones or something that has that sort of, you know, straight ahead rock kind of sound, and you know that the audience is gonna like it. You know that your audience is gonna like it. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's, you go onto a show like that to promote your new album, right? Obviously. So, yeah. I, and well, we could definitely, you the... could make better choices perhaps on the album if you're looking just as a one time listen for a large audience. I'd be willing to entertain that. But I think it's, you, you can't tell me that Nautical Disaster isn't one of the, if not the most interesting songs on that album. I, uh, I, I just, well, before, I, before I finish, I do need to add something to the, the producer note that you made because it's yes. a little bit of an incomplete puzzle there the producer is mark howard with mark Vreekin as like an the assistant mixer. the mixer yeah so and mark howard is a uh, uh, daniel lanois uh, prodigy like uh, oh. you know daniel lanois is a, a heavy hitting canadian producer is this yeah. the fellow um, from the odds is that the is that who this is mark howard uh no i don't think he's from the odds but okay. um yeah i don't know a ton about mark howard but daniel lanois uh you know uh 
a very well-known producer. And it makes a lot of sense. If you're familiar with Daniel Lanois' work, the album makes a lot more sense. It's a very you know, distinct he, sound. He's got, he, he's, yeah. yeah, so I didn't... It would be similar to like if you want to make a sports metaphor, this would be like a guy who's a assistant coach to like a Bill Belichick who goes and then he's, he does the same thing as the producer or as right. the coach at a different team. Right. You know, so. Well, no, but but, but I mean, I, I Mark Vreken's name is going to come up in the credits of all the albums uh, until um, uh, In Between Evolution. He is. Hmm. He becomes their guy, and 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 the and the reason. For sure, he's a. He's definitely. Why, why wouldn't you though take the roadie guy, the principal roadie, mm-hmm. to engineer the guy, it, to mix it, San engineer yeah. to, to but, be a part of that. But process. he starts taking producer credits. Like I mean, there. The the point that I'm trying to make is that they are distancing themselves from any outside voice, and that's a good yeah. thing and a and a bad thing. Um, but you know, I guess it's mostly a good thing. Having the courage to take the next step down the path you're pointed towards is, is, is always a good thing. But I'm just saying the band is starting to call the shots. It's almost like there's a resignation, uh, behind it where it's like, look, we're going to sell a lot of records in Canada. We're going to make a, you know, we're going to be able to be a professional band. Nobody's going to have to get a day job here. But I don't think we're going to be living next to Bruce Springsteen. I, I don't as they would have made as they kind of uh, thought about. Yeah. For fully completely. For fully completely. They yeah. thought so, that was going to be the yeah. big success. So I, I, I got sorry. I just got a couple notes. I just want to throw them out. Uh, lots of tracks. Uh, Fourteen tracks as opposed to the eleven or twelve uh, that had previously been established in hip albums, um, and uh, I, I don't know. I. I just I didn't enjoy listening to this album thirty times in a row like I have uh, every album uh, mm. in this process, um, and I don't necessarily think that it was because I was uh, you know intimidated by how dark or brooding it is. There just isn't a lot of melody here, um, and so I'm going to offer that up as a as a sort of a downside, uh, and um, also. Uh, you know, if you went to the Wikipedia page too, which I encourage all our listeners to just go to Wikipedia and <laughs> and stop listening to us, but uh, it's it's named after a it's named after a French film, uh, and it, yeah. that's a film that's a film noir film, and uh, the process it, it, it it's named after the film is named after a process too, where you use the wrong film for a heavy light situation to make it look like nighttime. So basically you film in bright light with the wrong film and it looks outside and it looks like you're uh, at, at night. It looks, it's this very surreal sort of dreamlike um, quality. So that's what they took it from. Uh, and once again, that speaks to the artistic nature of, uh, of this album. Um, I got the first track. Um, yeah, let's let's we've I think this is the interesting we've this is probably the longest opening discussion that we've had. Things are I a little think, contentious, eh? Hey? I, I uh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm like but, I'm liking all the friction. It's good. Yeah, but no, but I I, I think it it, it 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 speaks to this album though too because it is something you know the first three were maybe sort of more in line and everyone kind of had similar opinions on them and now we're getting into something with a bit more. You know, it's a bit different, so there's a bit more to discuss. So yeah, let's do that. Let's go to let's start with our tracks because John, you have the first, the opening track of the album, Grace Two. I mean, 
what a way to start an album. Uh, the end of this track has a full two minute jam out. Um, Grace 2 has a uh, very psychedelic feel and the band uh, must be acutely aware of the trance quality uh, because even the music video has uh, trippy light tracers and visuals in it. It's, uh, I mean, we, we're not going to spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but uh, I mean, what about what about drugs? I mean, it, it could, could, <laughs> what about them? Yeah, what about what about them? Um, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm meaning to say is this album is a uh, is a real uh, mind fuck and kind of could be could be something written by somebody tripping for somebody tripping and uh it's certainly i mean i am just gonna say it as 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 it is um i mean the fact that this song has a really really strong establishing vibe means it's often used as an intro or intro uh to an encore in the live show and i've been to a few hip concerts where they've established the mood uh with grace too early in the night um We've talked before about how the band's not afraid to let the melody ring out on Tampered With uh, for long stretches. And that jam out tendency works really, really well with Gord's vocalizations and diatribes. Um, we're hearing that to the utmost. And I, I sometimes, I wonder too if distancing themselves from a, uh, a label voice allows them a little more freedom to um, have long run times. Because I mean, if we're talking about a two-minute jam runout with no guitar solo, that's the difference between a three-and-a-half-minute radio hit and a five-and-a-half-minute, um, you know, jam out. Solo. Jam, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. So um, I also just wanted to say, too, just as a bit of a palate cleanser uh, for me sort of running down the album, Grace 2 is uh, one of the hip's best works like this is a great great song and um you can tell by the live show the band gets up to play it you know even though they've played it a lot of times and the crowd is dying to hear it this is a this is a fantastic hip song um there are a few theories about the lyrics in the song that i can't really get behind um, I think that often Gord is prone to writing a song with one meaning in mind, but after singing it for the umpteenth time, he finds new meaning in it and explores these unintended uh, consequences and conclusions in his rant. Um, there's an interpretation to this song that's referred to as the film noir interpretation. Uh, for those listening, I'm making hand quotes film noir <laughs> interpretation um, that the male and female characters in the song are plotting to kill the female character's lover. It does jibe with some of the lyrics and Gord will s sort of stoke this a little bit, often miming uh, a cigarette <laughs> or uh, saying things like today was the day and I was already behind or don't hurt me when performing it live. So I definitely think he's aware of the murder for hire angle, but as with Highway Girl, uh, and it's double suicide version. I think he's reconfiguring the plot after the fact. 
Um, the other theory that gets floated out there is that the male character is a pimp trying to recruit more hoes. Uh, I don't really buy this either. I think that there are only two voices in the song, the prostitute and the John. Uh, I also think that there's a uh, distinct meaning in the lyrics already, so I don't see the, the need to go reading tea leaves in a cup of coffee here. Um, so now that I've told you what it isn't about, let's talk about prostitution. <laughs> um, our John in the song... What about it? Yeah. Our, our John in the song is a self-described fabulously rich guy um, who wants sex now. Uh, but she plays coy. Jeez, I don't know. And then she does the flirty lip bite thing. It's pretty hot, right? Um... Her lyric, I can guarantee there'll be no knock at the door, I'm total pro, that's what I'm here for. Uh, when combined with his over-enthusiasm, come on, just let's go, uh, it paints a picture where the prostitute is the savvy character, the wiser one, and indeed the one in control. I come from downtown, born ready for you, while being self-demeaning, is a testament to her professionalism. Her focus on suspending the disbelief between the two of them, so an air of mystery can be enjoyed throughout the transaction. Uh, Gord praises her for this, he says armed with will and determination, and the way he offers up the grace compliment, almost as an afterthought, has always been really satisfying to me. Uh, probably because you rarely see the most important phrase and really the thrust of the whole song snuck in at the end like that. Sort of like, oh yeah, here's the whole fucking point if you need it. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really great song. And uh, I think that uh, it's a song about dignity. Um, and uh, it's, also, it's also interesting where, um, you know, the one character, the female character you know, can kind of there, there and talk down to a, a sort of like a childlike want from, from the John. And, and I mean, I haven't, I haven't been able to, to tie in, uh, you know, conflict and force and, 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 and some of the things that are, that are spoken about, but I think this is really what the song is about. I know that this film noir murder plot, uh, thing does make a lot of sense. I know that the album it's on is named after a film noir. Um, I understand all that stuff. It's just not what I think about or what I hear when I, when I listen to the song. And for me too, not what I believe the song is written about. I think that, uh, Gord's just an interesting guy and, uh, you know, he likes to, uh, find some of these meanings, uh, even if they are unintended. So I'd would like you, to, would you... I'd like to open it up to you guys. Yeah. Cause, cause there's a lot there. So. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I would just would you say that it, it has to be about prostitute John, or could it just be a relationship between a man and a woman? Like, does it have to have that element of... No, I think so. No, she's a, she's a self-described <clears throat> professional. I come from downtown. I'm born yeah. ready for you. It's a, yeah. it's a, she's a call girl. It's just that there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things like, you know, dignity and pride and, and work that it's not a typical, it's certainly not demeaning to women. I mean, like, uh, no. as no, far no. as, as far as a, a song about prostitution, boy, oh boy, it is a, 
it makes the flattery. John, it makes the John look like an idiot. Yeah, oh, I got yeah. all this yeah, money. Yeah. Let's let's fuck. You know, he looks is, like a moron. I know? think this is yeah. <clears throat> plays into part of the what you're talking about earlier, Brad, and the contrast and juxtaposition of what. Yeah. Probably uh, going against our assumptions a little bit, but yeah, I do absolutely agree. It it it, it needs to be about uh, a prostitute and someone. Uh, inquiring for those services, mm-hmm. a John. Mm-hmm. Um, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Was, I don't know why they're called Johns, but uh, they Lord, are. So. Lord knows I yeah. do. Uh, <laughs> but I think she's she's uh, very empowered in the song. I yeah. think that's part of yeah, the. Totally. That's the appeal, and it's all from her, right? Um, and it's it's from her perspective, uh, and she's the one. It's like this is she's describing her resume, pretty much. I come from downtown, board right for you, armed with will and determination and grace too. I I love how that's an after fact or an afterthought as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also that's kind of the that's the actually the big sell, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not that's just what's graceful it's about not, it. It's not it's mm-hmm. not just a matter of standing on a corner. And you get the the guys to come, and then it's just a basic transaction like buying a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's a there's a huge amount of skill and power involved, and she needs to have that power, or else the di- the dynamic just won't work. That's what she's she's there for. And I I really love how in the last verse it it talks about the um, it talks about the uh, rules of engagement, right? Um, yeah. And uh, like what's, the, what's done uh, the appearance of conflict door. meets the appearance of force. Um, and that's to me, is just like, hey, this is also a power negotiation. This is a this is right. like a, a brokeraging of a deal mm-hmm. as well, where there there is not an, an equal footing. She needs that in order to actually properly do her job. Mm-hmm. Right. She needs to be in control, be in control. So do, do you guys want to talk for a second too, about Gord singing female characters? He seems to do it really well. Like he's very, well, we've, we've, we've discussed it in other, in previous episodes too. I yeah. think you, you mentioned it on the up to here and how on a first, for a first album that he had, he had skill in writing and speaking it for those, for those characters, which you wouldn't really expect from a young male in a rock band. No. So and, yeah, I mean he's good at it. And being able to change perspective on the fly and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, I mean just a, a it allows for very nuanced concert performances. And uh again, I guess maybe I'm just a sucker for the live act, but to me um this is like one of if not the strongest um song on the album and it's because it plays so well live like it's uh it's sorry to interrupt it's not dry at all the crowd reacts from the opening drum beat they know it's this song yeah like it's so uh uh, distinct Mm -hmm. this song and how it opens even though it seems like like that's not a Mm -hmm. you know some crazy drum beat it's just very straightforward space like you're talking about open snare crack and and you know you're into it yeah. But then, as soon as those bases, it's not, it's not exactly in, right? hot for teacher, where there's yeah. this gigantic drum yeah. roll or anything in it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's. To... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it's interesting too. You were talking about how he can write these female characters and come at it from, I think, a pretty unique space. I mean, like, what other song do you know of that deals with this dynamic? The only one I can think of is Roxanne, and that's like 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the male is the hero coming in to rescue her. It's a very mm-hmm. traditional yeah. way yeah, of viewing exactly. it. Yeah. Whereas is this is like she's, you know, handling everything, you know, with grace and skill and determination. And it's just... It's really interesting. It's you, a really nice. I gotta, I gotta quote the the future or Downey lyric too. Maybe a prostitute could teach you how to take a compliment. Great. So yeah. it's, it's 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 obvious that he's got admiration for hookers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be what it is. You know what I think it is? Honestly, he's got admiration. It's a for, tough job, but it's I, a living. I think he's got admiration for 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 any character he takes the time to write about. You know, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, but yeah. I also think that he has the he has the potential to be derisive mm-hmm. in his uh, in what he says about people or professions yeah. or yeah. whatever um, and it's not always so direct yeah but um, well he points it at the John the John sounds like a total moron tool, yeah. So. yeah yeah um, but completely from yeah he, he has a, a line in there for sure um, but like for example later on I'm what we'll see in so hard done by he talks about a stripper. Right? right, and it's <clears throat> it's not quite as flattering. I think he, I think he candy. probably, yeah, candy. I think candy. Uh, you, you know her. I think yeah. it's an admiration for someone who does their job in a way that's <laughs> very skillful. So, so d- w- without, like, I don't well, think he'd well, have admiration for a bad hooker. Well, well, does he have admiration <laughs> for the DJ, the person who has to like keep the show going and hard done by? But you, the MC, yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I'll uh, I'll leave that alone because uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna to touch on it later. It's next, I, yeah. I've had my uh, I've had my shine. I've had my time in the sun. Uh, I think it's what yawning or snarling. Is that the next uh, track? That is. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it from here with yeah, yeah yawning or snarling. Yeah, this is one of my favorite uh, songs on the album, and it's really because it has some of my favorite lines. But I'm not sure exactly you know, what the deeper meaning behind this song is. Like, I don't know if we have the same you know definitive story as as we just had with Grace too. Uh, to me, it invokes this feeling of someone who's sort of just moving through their town this town, El Paso, a city we've all heard of. And he's kind of observing things, but not really being observed, kind of seeing maybe some of the the darker side of the city. It kind of has that darker mood to it. But I, I, to me, I don't really pick out like a, like a, like a, a deeper meaning or something, but there is a number of really interesting lines that I think we could discuss. And maybe you guys have a better idea of, what these might mean. I mean, right off the top, I guess I'll say there is the one sort of solid meaning, I guess you could, about the song, is this idea, yawning or snarling. So the the refrain of the song, take a look at this photograph. Clearly his teeth were bared. He could have been yawning or snarling. The story was never clear. So, I mean, there's that sort of, that, that's, I guess, you know, the repeating theme in the song is this idea of not knowing what it was, but also that it could be two things. So it's again this kind of, I don't know if juxtaposition is really the right word, but you could see two things in the same in the same photo. Um, but otherwise, you know, you just have, it seems, like I said, like a story of a guy just kind of walking through his, his town, there's, there's things happening, 
One day in El Paso, the cops go into the crowd under a glaring bladder of light. I just love that line, glaring bladder of light. Like, why would you describe a, a light beam as a bladder? Like, it, it's just really, really interesting choice of words. And then the other one uh, that really stands out to me is past a straw man making a purchase. I don't know if this is some kind of play on the, you know, building a straw man for your for your argument. Um, and then I think the best line of the whole song. So after, and the tourists turn their TV, TVs off. And the tourists turn the TVs off. And a bat sees the bug with the sound of a linger. And a bat sees a bug with the sound of a linger. If there is a more poetic way to describe echolocation, I have not heard it. <laughs> and that is just, you know, and I think this album is actually filled with these gems, these gems of lines that we've uh, talked about a couple of them already and we won't get to all of them, but I don't know. So I, I struggled when I was like reading the, the lyrics over and over with this song, trying to be like, well, what is this about? What is it? But I think it's, yeah, to me, it really is just, here's a scene, here's a picture that I'm painting for you. Take a look at this photograph. What is it? Is he yawning or star or snarling? You know, so I, I, I unfortunately don't have a lot more to offer than that. But uh, it actually is one of my favorite songs on the album. I think the groove is amazing when they start it slow and then kick it into like another level of heaviness at the walks past line. It's just it's a really well done song. And again, I think of a song that's typical of this album. You know, it sounds Brad. Like he's got you wrapped around her finger. <laughs> <laughs> Letting it linger. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think it's written from the perspective of a of a guy in a band. To be honest, I think that yeah. uh, one day in El Paso, the cops went into the crowd. Is is describing a show that kind of either went wrong or kind of went sideways. Um, I'll say this, actually, John, just to jump in there on that yeah, point, yeah. is that I did see um, in hip old hip forum posts that yeah. I've been going through, sort of just trying to get feels for some of the songs and the albums and stuff. What up to there the forum? What, what, what up? Yeah. Hitbase.com? Yeah, I can't. The Titanic uh, Trarium? I don't, I, I don't think it was don't, either of those. We don't, I can't we don't take sides. Those are both the we, same one. We don't take sides. Yeah. Oh, I'm a, a hip bass guy. Come on. Hip bass. I don't even know what. The, I didn't even know there was another form. Sure, there is. All right then. I, it, anyway, the uh, the poster was talking about the uh, the hip newsletter that was released with this album back in '94, '95, or whatever it was, and I don't know which band member was writing the the this part of the newsletter you kind of just i hear it in the voice of gord but saying the album's being released there's a nod to el paso and as it's being released in the u.s i'll say this was this did happen the cops did come into one of our shows in el paso and i think he had some kind of funny little line about they had guns so we let them do whatever they want they were stomping over our equipment or something like this mm. so yeah i mean that i mean that makes perfect sense i didn't want to jump to that because you don't i mean he really who knows what this poster was if he's truthful in his story or not but that makes a lot of sense yeah no i mean that uh 
and, and also the feeling of being an outsider. I think that the 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 purpose that's of, what I get from it. Yeah, the purpose of the song is sort of a remoteness to uh, to a place and 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 just sort of being a stranger. Um, it's not exactly as on the nose as uh, like people are strange by the doors or something like that. But but um, you know you roll into these towns, you have no idea who these people are. You you sort of interact with them on a surface level. Uh, you know, uh, with businesses and, you know, transactional meetings and things like that. Um, you never really get to meet anybody, know anybody. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's going on. I think it's just sort of a, you know, you know what it's like? It's like, um, you know, with autism, how you have these charts, they, you know, Again, I'm not going to speak as an authority on this, but they have a difficult time with facial recognition and understanding sure, the emotions yeah. that are portrayed through a person's face. They have these social context and this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they have these charts, you know, like that you're supposed to, you know, that you're supposed to look at, like something to reinforce something as basic as like smile means approval or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then maybe this is what they're saying, you know, like when you're this far of an outsider, you just cannot tell uh, if people are being threatening or approving or like what is what is their mind. Um, and then uh, is there a tie in to to the, the cat line in uh, in Greasy Jungle? I think it's Greasy Jungle. Um, the cat's indifferent or he's just furious. It seems that he's never neither where, you know, yeah. being aloof and cat like it seems to be sort of the way that the songwriter is perceiving these people. Um, like they're almost deliberately, um, you know, not showing their true, uh, intention, uh, uh, in their face and things like that. So I don't know. And then and then I do have one more thing that I just thought was awesome. A busload of kids gives you the finger. It's just such yeah. a sweet little throw-in gourd. Like just a little, yeah, yeah. Just little, totally. little bonus gourd for you. But again, but again though, that that <laughs> you know. speaks to this this um, this outsider yeah. thing yeah. that I think I was struggling to 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 put a name on, but you kind of hit it there. It's like yeah, you're you're out there, you're walking these streets or whatever, and then all of a sudden, you know, a, a busload of kids gives you the finger, and you're like, what? Like, what could that, you know? Yeah, sure. And who knows? It's probably just some kids dicking around on a bus, and it has nothing to do with you, but you could also take that as, like, why would they do that to me? Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this idea of this juxtaposition, seeing two things out of one, you know, photograph or whatever, is a theme that comes up. A number of times sure. and this song kind of personifies it it's the most on the nose of it yawning or snarling so, clearly his yeah. teeth were bared so a lot of so a lot, think, lot of travel man i think it just yeah. disassociates you from the people around you and i think it is not just a, a general strange place but it's probably the the place el paso right you know that's probably you know as you're saying i think this is, is the an actual experience in an actual place. Can't get a read on this spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, like, di there's two different verses here on either side of the chorus um, that are almost identical, but for four lines. And I think one is yeah. in the day and one is in the night. Mm. Um, yeah. What's the album called? 
<laughs> Sorry. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, definitely, like, if you think about, I think uh, Gord is, uh, you know, he's, part of his uh, history is as a film studies guy, is, or, and you were talking about art, visual art. I think this there's a lot going on here. I mean, it's about a, the, the metaphor is uh, the photograph, and you're looking at, it's kind of just a, a little bit of a creepy vibe, but you got this photograph there and you can, you're trying to decide at this still shot. If it's someone who's uh, yawning or snarling, there's two different contrasting kind of ways of going about it. Right. Like, and there's that contrast kind of is throughout the song. I don't know. Like it's a, it was an ambitious song to, to go after Brad. I admire you for that. Um, I think you guys. I just really like it. It's one of my favorites. It's a great like, song. I, I really and, like the song. The riff, the the groove, yeah. how it builds and comes back down. Like it's musically, it's great. Yeah, and I think that you. I really liked your comment on the at a bat uh, sees a bug with the sound of a linger. Um, no, no. Wait a second, though, guys. I thought that's a throw-in line. Like I thought that's a little. That one has always stood out, stood out to me as, just you know, it's. Talking about you're seeing with sound. I mean, that's what you know bats do. But seeing with the sound of a linger, like yeah, but it subtle movement. Yeah, but it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the song. I think it's just a. No, but it's a it's creating atmosphere. It's creating atmosphere about this place, this guy in this strange place, and basically the song is him describing what's happening to him. So can we look at the line from the first verse that it's meant to perhaps stand in contrast to, which is the busload of kids. Gives you the finger. First of all, he's trying to. He's obviously fitting it into the uh, rhythm scheme. They're both iambic pentameter uh, verses, and they they have to be in order for it to sound for the song to sound kind of uniform. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, is there any kind of can you can we draw a connection there to uh, a bus driving past you with kids giving you the finger, and that's kind of like. Uh, maybe a lingering feeling and but then it's gone to the kind of as you put it the echo what is the echo positioning location echo, echo location. location that uh I, iambic pentameter i'm pretty sure it is yeah <laughs> that's how bats communicate yeah uh, with their, with shakespearean their, motherfucker with, with their <laughs> no i i just think that we're reading i think it's a great line i i, think, I, I appreciate what you had to say about it brad there is that, that is a scientific statement his per his yeah. percentage of and that's the nighttime right this, that's the bat whereas in the day, the it's the day bus. there's the boss yeah but but like his percentage of throwaway lines like let's just call them like throwaway lines um, I, I just i fail i will not agree that this is a throwaway line you're making a he's yeah. got a very he operates with a very low percentage of throwaway lines and i think that this is one of them uh, uh, but but that's fine that's just me yeah, yeah. No, it might I, it yeah. might just be you, John. Could just be me. <laughs> Damn, yeah. Johns. Yeah. Why don't you go find a prostitute yeah. or something? Uh -huh. Ah, <laughs> poor taste. All right, okay. Well, let's let's move to the next one on the list, and I think it's you know kind of an interesting song uh, choice as well that we're going to jump to because I feel like yawning or snarling and this one so hard done by. And kind of, you know, to have this similar sort of makeup in terms of how they're constructed based on a bass group. But Steve Barg, this is your song. Take it away. 
Thank you, uh, So Hard Done By. First of all, this is a, a song that was pre-recorded for previous album. Uh, uh, fully, completely. Right, it sounds um, terrible. Sounds, sounds completely terrible. different. And then, <laughs> but I mean, I think that goes along the same lines as what we were talking about before, where they wrote a song to fit that album. They wrote a song to, to uh, you know, kind of gain maybe some popularity to fit that sound of the album but that album was a, an album maybe without like a, a straight ahead kind of unification to it and it probably sounded like this song was just trying to play on what the kind of album sounded like on fully completely completely restructure it re-record it to becoming uh what is a phenomenal sounding song just kind of uh you know, from a percussion standpoint, it's very slow, it's very brooding, fits the album. I think it's one of the marquee songs on the album for sure. Um, so yeah, that's out of the way. Listen to the the, the uh, recording, the original recording is on the the uh, anniversary release of Fully Completely. So yeah, uh, many people have heard it. Um, <laughs> and many people dislike yeah, it. Yeah, well, I think I don't see how you could like it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, it could be just John. It could be just another John out there. <laughs> just another uh, John. <laughs> no, it's and the hip have a tremendous amount of uh, unreleased material that's pure gold. That wasn't one. Um, anyway, you could look at this. Uh, I mean, first of all, the title "So Hard Done By." Uh, that's something you say sarcastically to somebody when they're being a bit of a baby. I don't mean to insult mm. babies over here. I know we got a Bert, we got a we got a brand new baby, so I don't know if I if I'm gonna offend, you know, people the by, baby by using of the by podcast. using the term term baby some derogatorily. Of my, some of my best sons are babies. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's something you say in a sarcastic tone to people who are, you know, kind of with a woe was me feeling sorry for themselves attitude. And you can read this song just using that as the key. Uh, pretty easily like there's a line about the uh, stripper uh, just then the stripper stopped in a coughing fit she said sorry I can't go on with this she's like well this is your job you're a stripper you know you made that choice get on with the show um, there's also uh, you know a Polaroid type picture moment where uh, you should see it before there's nothing left in an epic too small to be tragic. You'll have to wait a minute because it's an instamatic. So he's describing like this epic photo, but he's got like a instant camera. It's just like, wait a minute, it's coming. It's a really old instant camera, obviously. <laughs> Trust um, me, it's going to be good. But in that verse, there's a uh, uh, interesting line that I think you can use as a little bit of a key. It was, it was true cinema a clay. Um, which actually means key in French. Um, clay does, anyway. Um, so, and that is a type of cinema, Gord, as as I just said. The previous song, he's a, he's a film studies slash history guy, right? So he's he's using all of this, his education and, and what he knows about this to kind of create these interesting scenes. And a cinema, a clay, is... Uh, is uh, uh, fiction as a facade for reality movie. So what that means basically is you have kind of parallel plot points where there is a surreal character um, that is actually the, the fictional character, but that's kind of explaining the 
the real character. And I'll give you a couple examples, one of which is adaptation. With mm. Nick Cage, there's two characters, and then there's one character that's uh, fictionalized, but he's using that to actually describe the, the real character sure. and the real yeah. story of John Malkovich, mm-hmm. right? And another kind of example of that, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same thing, but maybe something more popular would be uh, Fight Club, Right, where it's the fictionalized Tyler Durden character. Spoiler alert! Holy yeah. fuck! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and he's kind of uh, acting as a fictionalized character for the real character, which is Ed Norton, who's actually doing all those things. So yeah. if we take, if we look at that, and we start to see, like, we we can start to see the stripper in a different way, and we can start to see. Uh, things in a different way. Uh, when I read the line, one day you'll just up and quit, and yeah, that'll be it. That precedes the coughing fit. Uh, so that's right before it, it describes the stripper. I see that as a discussion at a table in a strip club between two people, um, males presumably, um, but not necessarily. One day you'll just up and quit, and that'll be it. So they're discussing about their own woes, and it's just like, yeah, one day you'll you'll quit. You know, what what might it be? Marriage, a job, you know, presumably something serious to kind of you know have that conversation be notable. Like the tipping point, you know, I've had mm-hmm. I've had yeah, enough. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've had enough. Yeah. And yeah. then they see the stripper is there, and she's having a coughing fit. Uh, so hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you could see how that could be like the stripper is playing on the she's the facade for their reality there yeah. um, and then it goes on to talk about the uh, the MC carried on with it so this stripper show has an MC I don't know yeah, strip club DJ strip club DJ yeah there you go give it um, up for candy <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> coming to the stage next. And now that Common well, candy instead of it, actually instead of uh, saying coming to the stage next, coffin candy, he says now that I've got you all, or now that I've got you all strangely compelled, I'm afraid candy's not feeling well. So it's just an interesting thing like we have people going to the strip club because they're you know maybe making some choices or maybe they're having serious discussions or, or whatever and then there's this kind of strange MC who's like ah you're very compelled aren't you by candy oh, sorry she's not feeling well there's definitely a little bit of that juxtaposition there um, so love the song I love the uh, the bass line that kind of is lays the melody for the song Uh, i love the layered percussions in the song i think it's a super interesting song i think it's a i think it's a ring the bell kind of song to use your line john about uh, i think you used that for uh trickle down Mm -hmm. um in a previous podcast i think when he he opens with interesting and sophisticated refusing to be celebrated it's a monumental big screen kiss it's so deep it's meaningless that that those that's an opening that's a hook right that's like a that's a that's a left jab to the face as you step out of the corner Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So, anyway, I love the song. I'm glad they re-released it. That must have been quite a decision for them to take this song and restructure it. Like, Do you think Do you think it's... Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, because it was a dud. Yeah. It, you know what? And, 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 and it's, it's, <laughs> we don't want to keep hammering on about it. He had to think there's just... But we're going to. He had to think there's just something on, there. Yeah, he, he must have just... Or as a band, they must have just thought, there's something there. We need to get back it's just a very clever song like mm-hmm. it's a really really clever song like um so i i understood that s- cinema eclef now keep in mind i haven't been immersed in french like maybe some of us at this table it is a canadian podcast hello out there a lot of people speak french uh, and a lot of people get immersed in French uh, in school, uh, so I I I know it as cinema a clef. It was true cinema a which is sort of what he says too. It, in the, and 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 you should see it before it's nothing. Before there's nothing left is a bit of a clever pun because I thought that it was minimalist. Um, filmmaking so i mean it's so minimalist like you better get in and see it before it's all gone it's so minimalist i i i I thought that's what what it was taken to mean but the way that you described um the fictional characters being aware of a plot and and, and that's what the movie day for night is about Mm -hmm. yeah totally it's about it's about people trying to make a movie so there's a lot of uh it's very what the kids call meta it's super meta it's so this is a meta album so meta way meta yeah and um it predates the word meta yeah which i'm sure is a (laughs) brand new word and not greek and ancient at all but (laughs) It's, uh, it's you'll so, have to check out our, our Origins of Language podcast. It's so new that me as a man in my early 30s, I'm not comfortable using it even. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's so deep, it's meaningless is another, is, is another just great, yeah. you know. Is, these are just cheeky gourd lines. Where and he, it's he a, does cine, these things he's a cinephile, he right? Yeah, like he's yeah. obviously a cinephile, yeah. but he obviously has this kind of... Um, this view on it where it's like there is cynicism in, in in a lot of Gord's work right and when he's seeing it he's like he he would uh, kind of see the perspective of someone who's just like you know this is so is he being is sarcastic terrible. when he says so he's hard done by is he yeah. saying wah 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 like uh, because I, I often say that it's my biggest pet peeve at work um, when people go, oh, you went out, you didn't get me anything. I will just loudly shout at work, what about me? What about me? Yeah, that's what he's doing, right? It is. That's one of the layers of the not, song, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's not actually yeah. saying that, you know what, this candy person is having a difficult time in life. She's so hard done by. No, he's he's using it like sar- sarcastic. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, so. I agree, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I anyway, uh, so hard done by. There it is. All right. Well, we got nothing else. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna go along with the next one. And Steve, you've already sort of professed your love for this for this song, which is Nautical Disaster. 
And uh, I'll agree with you, Steve. This is one of my uh, favorite songs. So you're um, professing your love as well? I am now professing my love as well. Is this a love um, a lovin'? Is that what this is? Dr. Love. <laughs> it could be. Uh, no, I mean, even not just on this album. This is one of my favorite hip songs in general. And I think it's the mood that they set again like we talked about you know the opening lines or, or notes of grace Two really signaling that that's what's coming and stuff but that's for me that the opening of this song too um does exactly that and i'm i'm almost transported to the foggy cold ocean scene that uh makes up the bulk of the song and i think it's it's a dark song in tone, in feel. The chord progression's minor, but yet there's, you know, because it keeps repeating on itself, it's the same chords through the whole song. It does feel like there's not a total resolution, but there's a, a hopeful quality, even though it's kind of sad sounding. Um, I think this song can, like, really, you can ride the waves of emotion from feeling uh, desperate to, you know, hopeful uh and the part of the song when the sailors are 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 headed for home uh which i'll get to um but i think it's one that you know we were talking about you know the other one being original you know meta before meta i think this might be emo before emo it it lets you wallow a bit in some of the come sad on, sounds don't but... say that come on <laughs> <laughs> i knew that was going to draw a reaction but no i just i just like the the fact that it is like it's when I hear it, I can indulge in darker feelings, more sadder feelings, but still feel good about it. It's basically the point that I wanted to make of that. Yeah. Um, and so as for like what the song is about, I mean, Nautical Disaster, the title right there, and then, the, like I said, the bulk of the song actually does describe a sinking of a ship, a nautical disaster. But that's, you know, not exactly what the song is about, in my opinion. And it's signaled right away in the opening line of the song in that this is a dream. I had this dream where I relished the fray. And the screaming filled my head all day. So we know that this scene that he's, he's about to do or about to describe to us is a dream. And then at the end of the song, he signals when the dream ends. Then the dream ends when the phone rings. So all this stuff in the middle, which is you know the the shipwreck the ship going down one afternoon four thousand men died in the water here and 500 more were thrashing madly as parasites might in your blood beautiful description of, of the chaos that would be going on. Oh, you're but, you're a parasitologist, and he just <laughs> stroked you the right way. That's yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. It's got me wrapped around his finger. Did you want a <laughs> But no, but I think that the the key to to it all is this next part where we we have the characters that are in the lifeboat. So now I was in a lifeboat designed for ten, ten only, and anything that's systematic would get you hated. And this idea that we're going to have to make this tough decision. You know, the selection was quick, the crew was picked in order, and those left in the water got kicked off our pant legs and we headed for home. 
So to me, this is like it's almost like it's like a survivor's guilt kind of thing. Oh yeah. And I think that that message that message is, you know, he's using the scenario of the um, the disaster, but it could be about a relationship. You know, it could be about anything in your life where you've had to make that tough decision. Maybe it's like you have to cut somebody out of your life because they're destructive. You know, whether it's addiction or something like this, and move on. Well, or maybe about, it's a bad relationship. What about and, what about the line? It's not a deal or a test or a love of something fated. I mean, it, it's like him saying it's not about religion. It's not about you putting work in. It's about chance. Like yeah. that can be applied to all sorts of things. Like who gets cancer? Just these, yeah. you know, really, totally. really difficult, difficult. Um, you know, turning points. Anyway, sorry, Brad, not to yeah. jump in. No, 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 totally. And I mean, you could maybe like, you know, the, 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 another track on this album, the inevitability of death, you know, yeah. it kind of, this kind of thing where it's just, well, these are the situations we find ourselves in. You have to make that decision. You know, you have to pick the crew and kick the rest off your pant leg and head for home. Wow. And then, you know, just to makes me think of relationships that the song might be about relationships because of at the end, you know, with the dream ends with the phone ringing and he's having a conversation with this character, Susan. Who is Susan? Um, who is Susan? <laughs> yeah. But I really like the line, you know, the, phone, the, the dream ends and the phone rings. You're doing all right. He said, it's out there most days and nights, but only a fool would complain. You know, just get on with it you know i'd be a fool to complain i'm here i've moved, i'm i've survived i guess you could say whatever the, the thing is hey, can, and then just this can i get yeah. can i guess too i mean it's out there like in titanic terrarium he talks about submarines out there under the ice avoiding and courting collision like it's out there it's out there as like the 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 dorsal fin you know like later on he refers to it's it's gonna get you you know it's out there most days and nights yeah. But you know, hey, I can't complain or whatever. I mean, but but he's talking yeah. about like like, you know, being, you will succumb or it's yeah, like, being you know, annihilated by yeah. some the inevitability of thing. death. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's a boy. Yeah. What a who writes songs yeah. like this? So, Very cool yeah. linkages Sorry. of songs throughout this album. That's really intriguing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll just I'll just yeah, I'll just up. end my little thing is just how how the song ends too with the and our conversation is as faint a sound in my memory as those fingernails scratching on my hope. Iconic line of like the just idea, imagery. Good lord. Yeah. Well, but and and just to just the slight change of words of not scratching on the hull, yeah, the hull yeah. of the lifeboat. There was my hull. Like it just makes it that much more personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's really amazing. And you know, John, you mentioned uh, in about Grace too that there's you know prolonged periods of jam out. Well, this song is the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with with not a real you know clearly defined guitar solo, but they jam this thing out. And in, and I read somewhere that this was you know uh, a chart topping song and you know obscure fact that it's one of the only or first chart topping songs in Canada that doesn't have a proper refrain it's mm -hmm. just the same chords over and over and over yeah. repeated ad nauseum but you know the band 
Maggie made what, Maggie what, what, made a, what a mood they create. Yeah. And the amount, like, I mean, I wonder why that is because it's a, it's a fucking amazing song. Like, let's not get yes. ourselves. And you yes. know, like, I I agree with everything you said. It's super interesting. I'm surprised you didn't bring up uh, what is potentially as. Gordani being a student of history, potentially what shipwreck this is, what is he talking about? Obviously, the perspective of from the uh, guy or from the the guy in the song is he's sharing a, a lived experience. I think there's a lot of PTSD in this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Survivor guilt, uh, survivor guilt, PTSD, wrestling with that, like those kind of. Uh, that would be very troubling, obviously. Well, it's out, it's then, out there most days and nights. It's out there, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, it's it's. Uh, I love the song. Well, do you I, I have love the parasite on... in the blood. Well, I, everybody said it's. Every, people say it's Diep, right? Yeah, that's I've one of that, the yeah. that's one of the leading theories. I'm pretty sure, though. I don't know. Just from reading something, I, I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's the Bismarck Bismarck uh, battleship. <laughs> Uh, World War Two, the German battleship. Yeah, yeah, could be that because too, yeah. also like I don't, I think this is a s- stepping away from the Canadianisms. Like Dieppe is a very famous mm-hmm. Canadian mm-hmm. story, where I think he's mm-hmm. trying to say these things are universal, and this this is from a German uh, naval officer's perspective. Perhaps I, typically right? what we would think of the bad guys, you know. And the, uh, interestingly enough, sir, just to finish that thought. Um, the Bismarck was was scuttled, so it's not that it was damaged in a battle. But then um, they determined that it couldn't make it back to shore, that it would sink eventually, that it was just an injured animal in the wild, with no chance yeah. of of really everyone was going to die. So it, the that makes it more methodical. It's not like a panicked yeah. Uh, yeah. escape. It's just like, more okay. More systematic. More, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, it's you and you're going to die and you come. So yeah. this is, that would make it that much more. And I, and I thought too guilt. that he yeah. encountered a painting of the sinking of the Bismarck. This is all just, of course, things Internet I've hearsay. Read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just, the, you know, that there is a, a, a famous oil um and once again painter painter girlfriend right um and him just trying to project himself into this situation but very rarely when you project yourself into a situation like what if i was on a sinking ship do you come out with insights as profound as kicked off our pant leg and scratching yeah. on my hull and just yeah I'm mean, thrashing around about, madly. Like, yeah, parasites yeah. in your in my blood, or is it your blood? I yeah, my, in my yeah, in, in my blood. blood yeah. Oh, it's just uh, you know what the guy is a is a master, and it, it what it shows me too is that when he turns his attention, it's like it's like when he turns his gaze to things or sets his mind to writing uh, songs about these certain things, they get written. And nobody writes songs like this. Nobody writes songs about this type of stuff. Even other celebrated songwriters, like you take somebody like Bob Dylan, who, you know, he would deliberately take up causes or, you know, like he would, you know, he would sit down and write a song about Reuben Hurricane Carter and, and do a masterful yeah. job. Still, though, these, this, the imagery from Gord here is, um, 
Yeah, freaky. Like, absolutely Second freaky. To none, yeah. yeah, no. And I think that that's why uh, a lot of us <clears throat> are, are so jazzed to do the podcast, too, is that uh, I, I don't think he's a good Canadian songwriter. I don't think he's a miscongeniality songwriter. I think he's an all-time songwriter. Like, this is yeah, really, really cool stuff. And nobody writes songs about this kind of crap. And, 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 and it, you know, it's... Yeah, it's awesome. I love. I love. And in the way, in in this, in this way, you know, to like, like you said, to like, well, put yourself in this situation. But it's like, okay, well, that's one exercise. Mm-hmm. How can I describe the situation and and evoke the feelings? And I think the band really helps him a lot. You know, like let's not you know forget about the band because they provide um, a soundscape. You know, really for him to to work with, like their their mood that they set or the juxtaposition in a mood that they set really, I think, accentuates some of the stuff he's doing. But, you know, it's like, it's one thing to describe the scene and do a really good job of that, but then to use it as a bigger metaphor for... Living with guilt. ...relationships yeah. or the human, you know, experience or whatever, you know, like, it's 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 just really brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's remember fully completely, he was writing lyrics to songs. Like, the songs were yeah. pre-recorded, he had lyrical ideas and probably preformed yeah. lyrics... Uh, and song ideas, but the, they were mashed together. Mm-hmm. At the end, they did a mm-hmm. tremendous job. Like uh, fully completely is a tremendous album, but this is where the this album was written w- with an organic process. Where they're together, and essentially they were recording this as was being written, yeah. and nearly decided to just release that. Just like here, yeah. we were yeah. writing this. This is what we came up with. This is great. This is good enough. Like yeah. this is not well. Yeah. And then probably. There was a little bit of a, a rain or a check on that from the the uh, from the studio, the studio or whatever. Studio. Yeah. So so y- y- what you're saying basically is uh, you know Gord was the cart to the band's horse in fully completely, and and in in this situation they they are actually moving together as opposed to him being sort of pulled into the material. You know, like it's uh, yeah um, yeah no I mean it, there's two real like lyrical masterpieces um you know and uh and and nautical disaster is 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 definitely one of them on this album uh, i i will not rest until i know who susan is <laughs> who, who, is, yeah. who is she uh and what is, well, what, like is her, little... what is her role in all of this <laughs> On the, uh, the his the, um, the curmu- his live take the curmudgeonly yeah. lighthouse keeper yeah that's great <laughs> yeah his his live bit on the what's that album called live between us yeah yeah he does a nice little this song's being turned into a movie starring yeah. uh, who does he say it's starring Jody Peter Foster. O'Toole Peter O'Toole Peter is O'Toole, the curmudgeonly yeah. lighthouse keeper yeah Susan yeah, yeah. well Susan yeah. is Jody Foster well, I guess as Jody Foster well I guess yeah. I can rest now. Now that we figured yeah. out who Susan is, it's yeah. Jody Foster. He's secretly in love now. with Jody Foster. <laughs> you, you heard, heard it, it here. here first. <laughs> well, uh, new take. Haven't thought about this before. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but does this song make sense from the perspective of a lighthouse keeper who goes out with a boat to rescue people from this ship that's sinking? Like he sees a. Once again, I think these are unintended viewpoints that Gord indulges later on. Sure. I think the. Yeah. He, he, being able to just run your mouth over top of all these music breaks affords him i don't know a lot of perspective and creates a lot of material like you mm-hmm. guys had said too a lot of this material 
you know, what I would call like notebook material comes from him indulging, you know, just whatever thoughts or tangents pop into his mind as, yeah. a, as, as he's doing shows. So, yeah. Okay, great. Well, if we're done, yeah, if we're done with that one, let's, let's move it right along. Steve, you're up next. Uh, well, I'm going to be doing Scared. So I'm going to introduce this song with uh, just another note or quote, I guess you could call it, from the book Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance uh, by Barkley, Jack, and Schneider. Um, credit where credit is due. This is a fantastic excerpt. I mean, I've mentioned this book before on the on the cast. The whole book's great, but their tragically hip uh, chapter is, uh, is really insightful. Very, very insightful. Um, so the song Scared, uh, the quote goes like this. Uh, when Downey sings, now there's a precious few that can prove that at the root, this is all nothing but cold calculation. At the root, this is all nothing but cold calculation. The juxtaposition of the music and the message is indeed unnerving as if the lifting melody is merely a distraction in order for the listener to submit to the experiment. And this opens up quite a few different avenues. First of all, it echoes a lot of what uh, you've been saying, Brad, about the juxtaposition, uh, the contrasting nature of this album, and things only making sense as held up to the other kind of opposite. Um, also, it kind of plays off your, in the intro, Brad, you mentioned that um, there are some very dark songs with sort of like uh, melodic or upbeat, punchy yeah. uh, kind of uh, the, the music itself is serves as a contrast or backdrop. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that's super interesting about that for me is just the nature of this conversation that's going on in this song um, between two people, or at least I read it as between two people, but uh, upon another reading, I, I also kind of, well, let's just go with the two people first. Um, is this a, a conversation between uh, a person and then also uh, someone trying to sell some type of experiment based around the notion of fear, some kind of social experiment that can be tested uh, through, you know, the means of social sciences uh, and this kind of thing. I think that's an interesting take. The other kind of reading that I have of this song is that this is a it's an inner negotiation on what uh, the nature of fear between someone and someone and themselves who are um, trying to kind of coax them into the appealing feeling of fear uh as we so often do and to kind of uh, allow ourselves to fall into that and then you're in there and you're like oh shoot i don't like this anymore right the the and which is kind of like why we like a thrill ride yeah like a thrill ride that's why we have like scary movies and stuff like yeah. this to kind of bring us in it's like ooh, could be cool to be scared 
And it's like, oh shit, I'm really scared. If it works, then you want to get out of that, right? Yeah. Which is which is um, the whole point. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at, I mean, every between each verse is, I guess, is the repeating verse. Uh, I guess you could call it a chorus where it's uh, first. It starts off with this verse: "I could make you scared if you want me to. I'm not prepared, but if I have to." He said, I can make you scared. It's kind of what I do. If you're prepared, here's what I propose to do. So this is somebody selling the notion of fear, and then it moves on. That that, that verse repeats, but with variations. Um, with the second last going, if you can make me scared, if that's what you do, if I'm unclear, can I get out of this thing with me and you? So they're trying to, they negotiated their way, they're sub themselves into a state of fear, and then they're trying to, like, back out. Can I get out of this thing with me and you? But it also makes sense with, that this is, like the book said, this is somebody who's trying to sell someone on an experiment. Guess what? We could find out more about human nature by doing tests focus around fear, like focus yeah. groups, exactly. Um, so that song immediately is interested, interesting to me based on those exchanges between the, we'll just call them two voices. Um, and it ends, the exchange ends with, okay, you made me scared. You did what out, what you set out to do and I'm not prepared. You really had me going there for a minute or two. He said, you made me scared too. I wasn't sure I was getting through. I gotta go. It's been a pleasure doing business with you, right? So that's kind of like the negotiation, the transactional nature, the transactional nature again in this album. Yeah, it comes up again and again. Um. Anyway, there's the the lines between that negotiation, also themselves are are super interesting from the same point of view. Uh, that we've been talking about, you know, with nautical disaster, just the imagery is fantastic. I I know that the you're in Russia and more than a million works of art are whisked out to the woods. When the Nazis find the whole place dark, they'll think gods left the museum for good. So this kind of just brings you in as it's such a good line. Um, this describing obviously uh, the battle the Soviet battle between Germany and Russia that spilled into the USSR um, and valuing these works of art like, that are appearing so often uh, to a point, you know, the million works of art and you whisked out to the woods to protect them and then the jokes on the Nazis who will find the whole place dark they'll think that there's no more god in here there's this is just a kind of a vacuous empty, empty room right super intriguing um they'll uh also this is my favorite line for sure um clearly, clearly entranced you're leaving back now defanged destroyer 
limps into the bay down at the peach at down at the beach is attracting quite a crowd as kids wade through the blood out to it to play as kids wade through blood out to it to play okay you made me scared so this notion of like a destroyer that's been completely disarmed it's been in a battle it's limping into the bay scuttled you might say yeah possibly the bismarck (laughs) i i don't think so but i mean there's because the bismarck was a battleship there's pretty clear distinction between a destroyer and a battleship but definitely like the same notion like this is not to me the layman (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry not all of us are so nautical well, and to be scuttled means to be at the bottom. Like Boy, again, right. to me, the, the layman. This is limping yeah. into the bay, right? So it's yeah. kind of completely Jeez. different. Well, in my bad. Right. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> um, but anyway, this notion that this once mighty warship is now limping into the bay with no... It's been defanged. Um, yeah. And it's attracted quite a crowd. All of these kids go down, and they're playing in... Uh, in the water filled with blood. Yeah. Right? They're wading through it to get to the destroyer but I think, to kind of play. I think that also, you know, connects with this thing, this whole idea of, like, I can make you scared if you want me to. This idea that we're fascinated with scared and morbid things. You know, that's why a, a, a defanged destroyer would attract quite a crowd. We want to be scared. We want to see the darkness. Yeah. Ooh. And then the kids playing in the blood, you know, is just you know exemplifies that so i think it yeah it's it's definitely right an uneasy point. scene because i'm not sure if the kids are they might be too innocent to really be conceiving these notions and i don't think that they're doing it to be afraid but an onlooker might think that that is that that's this something unseemly like, yeah it's super uncomfortable right yeah. um and willing to be willing to engage with that you know yeah is, and Nazi, the idea of Nazis walking into an empty museum with the art taken out into the woods from fleeing people who are trying to save their lives and art, that's also an uncomfortable mm-hmm. kind of feeling, right? I, I, um, I really like how, though, that the, the, he ends the first verse, that, like, I can make you scared is kind of what I do. If you're prepare, prepared, here's what I propose to do. And then it's like he's, the, the, that scenario, you're in yeah. Russia. It's yeah. like that's his proposal. You it's know? a little bit it's hypnotic. What I propose to do. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. You're in Russia. Yeah. More than a million works of art. You know what that line has always remind me, reminded me of, sorry, is, um, you know, the city of Leningrad has never fallen to military conquest. And yeah. For all you history nerds out there, um, in World War II, basically the plan was we can't sack the city, so we'll choke it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll start. We'll starve Under everybody siege, yeah. out. Yeah. And uh, Game of Thrones, they, one of uh, your favorite shows. Holy fuck! <laughs> so uh, what they did is uh, is is the people in Leningrad, you know, did things like ate dirt and grass and just all these terrible things. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's still a high reverence for art and. Uh, the idea that you're able to engage in a high reverence for art, even at such a terrible time, yeah. uh, makes you human. It's a higher form of living. So basically, uh, the story is that there was a uh, there was a ballet production 
um, that went on after they'd been under siege for a, a long, like a number of months. I'm not even going to speculate, but uh, the prima ballerina was brought a gigantic bouquet of flowers. I mean, people haven't seen fresh anything, green anything, for months and months and months, but somebody got flowers in so that they could have the the same sort of ceremony and pomp and circumstance and so obviously that's really really important and i don't know why but every time i hear that song scared with the with the works of art whisked out to the woods i think about you know that that story and i guess what it what art means to be human well right and, and they especially to russians they're uh, yeah i think that's frame of reference but anyway super poignant i think they're they see themselves as the the humans, the ones with God, right? Right. And that they are uh, yeah. uh, against this unspeakable kind of almost robotic force, mm -hmm. which is the Nazis. They don't want the Nazis to get the... a sniff of God. They don't, and they want right. to hoard it for themselves. And that's kind of the only thing that's keeping them mm -hmm. going, right? Which is, I mean, obviously that's a kind of a, just a famous struggle that lasted so long and was sure. so brutal for them. Yeah, but they the, prevailed for the Russians. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we should shout out to to the website uh, Museum After Dark. Um, I think we'd be a little bit foolish to say that we we were unaware of its existence. Great work. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know who it is, whether it's Barclay, Jack, and Schneider that are running it, or uh, or <laughs> whoever the uh, whoever the webmaster is. Um, great job, great website, great resource. Uh, I think that some of us have been willfully ignoring it to try to um, keep uh, an independent perspective, but great job by you guys. And, and the hip uh, image to Museum After Dark. And this is the last time it comes up, so I figured I would mention it uh, yeah. and give a shout out to those guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Right so, yep, for sure. And um, did anybody have any other thoughts on this song, or should we gear yeah, we forward? Could, we could, yeah, let's move it. I'll just say, like, I mean, in the same vein as um, Wheat Kings, you know, this is the prowess with the acoustic guitar. Um, this is a campfire song that you could sing with very, you know, dark sort of <laughs> undertones, you know? Sure. And yet people will be singing it um, around the campfire if someone's got the, got the guitar, you know, it's a... Just, yeah, classic song. Absolutely. Just as a final word, and I think you just remind me of this point, Brad. This is another one of the songs, something we've touched on before, that became more poignant in the the kind of final tour when yeah. they played the song a lot during that tour, with and a lot pathos. of people. Yeah. So yeah, with the pathos, I think this was a song that kind of gained a little bit more gravity, and people really. Uh, appreciated the band playing this song yeah, well said. on that yeah. tour all right well then john you you got the last song of the of the show today so take it away an inch an hour finally this album offers up a banger this song bang <laughs> this song bangs man it fucking bangs uh <laughs> this is a departure from you're making me hungry yeah <laughs> As the Brits would say. Uh, a departure from the signature sound of Day for Night, An Inch an Hour is a very straight-ahead rock song. This one even has the rare hip F-bomb, or fuck-bomb, if you will. Um, 
the song is essentially a list of things that fail to shake Gord out of the mundane triviality that is daily life. A plodding exercise that he compares to glacial movement. A rate of one inch per hour and two feet per day. I heard him also snidely refer to the Calgary Stampede in such a way at a Stampede concert, no less, giving a pantomime of the festival goer taking two steps forward and presenting money, then repeating it again and again while saying how much fun this all is. He, he lists a precious few examples of things that do invigorate him. The joy of reading. A book that'll make me drunk, full of freaks and disenfranchised punks. The joy of music. There's this fucking band you've got to see. They used to scare the living shit out of me. The joy of nature. You can see your breath in Springside Park, coffee-colored ice and peeling birch bark. The sound of rushing water in the dark. Ooh! Everything else mentioned in the song can't make him feel the same way. <laughs> These things include, but are not limited to, bemused Pierre Trudeau and his snowy walk out of Canadian politics, amounts of hate, loads of junk, bags of words, costume trunks, frothing dogs, cool insanity, rock and roll, and Christianity. Then there's the cumbersome helpless less and helpless more lyric. I think that this is done very tongue in cheek as Gord recognizes the clunky way that the negatives stack up. Even to the point of getting it backwards and correcting himself, admitting he's gotten it wrong, saying, you see, I don't know Neil, I don't know Neil. The Neil in question is undoubtedly Neil Young, who has a helpless feeling about a town in North Ontario that I'm sure you guys remember. Uh, in the Neil Young song, helpless isn't a negative term, but one of almost whimsy. And Gord is saying that people make him feel a lot less wistful than the spaces. So uh, when he's saying, I'm helpless less with the people than the place, He's basically a, 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 just another curmudgeon sentiment akin to saying these fucking assholes and their bullshit. But I love the land. I like the places. Um, and uh, also, I just wanted to do a shout out to two images in this song that I thought were very, very striking. Frothing dog and rushing water in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, and I also wanted to point out a misheard lyric. The real lyric is, tonight the winter may have missed its mark. You can see your breath in Springside Park. I always thought it was tonight the weatherman missed his mark. I'm so stupid. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, dummy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, just a, a really honest song and uh, kind of harkens back to the band's beginnings. Um, there are some trappings of the Day for Night uh, band, iteration of the band, but this song is a guitar chugger. It's a guitar and snare drum chugger. And uh, it's a, a really welcome, um, you know, point of the album for me. And I think Gord kind of indulges this, like, kind of um, change of pace uh, by throwing a bunch of vulgarities or swearing into it, too. I think that, you know, he didn't necessarily... He really leans into this fucking band you've got to see that used to scare the living shit out of me. Like, I mean... These are just big sing-along moments on the album for me. Um, 
And it's not like if you tap me on the shoulder and ask me what song I would point out as, as you know, as sort of one of the one of the really really good change of pace songs. I would say an inch of hour. But listening to it, looking at all the lyrics, great song, great great song, and part of my quest to do B sides. Um, yeah. You're kind of missing though. Like there is some other guitar chuggers that come up on this album before that. Daredevil and Fire in the Hole. Yeah, Fire in the Hole for sure. Um, Daredevil has the same spooky, uh, moody type feel as uh, the song that comes before it, uh, Grace Two. One thing I didn't even mention about Grace Two is that uh, it's acoustic to a certain point. Really interesting to do the dynamic change um, where you you go to a certain point in the song with acoustic guitar and electric bass and then move to electric guitar and take the acoustic guitar out of it. It gives mm-hmm. it a really big whole round sound. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think the listeners are going to have to strike that comment from the record though. Your time on grace <laughs> two was done. We are now past that. So uh, fair the enough. audience will not take that. <laughs> All right. Um, fair enough. Steve yeah. thoughts on inch an hour. I think you did a good job there, John. I think it's a great song. It is, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I totally agree that this is a standout in terms of the, the, uh, banger quote on, I'm doing air quotes now. Yeah. Now I'm the one with the air quotes. It fucking bangs. bangs. <laughs> it bangs, man. It definitely bangs, but I, I think there's, uh, this, this album's got a few. Um, so yeah. And I think this is definitely a, like, a moment of gourd, like, like you said, he's kind of rising above the mundane, kind of banal tease. That's a word, right? I can turn banal into banalities. I just banalities. did. Yeah. yeah, of kind of the everyday, and um, kind of sticking his head out of the out of the dirt, uh, and um, kind of taking stock of uh, what's important. I think that's kind of, in a, a lot of ways, that mirrors what this album is all about, right? Um, kind of doing things his way, not trying to please people, not trying to fit a mold. Um, what a tie-in. When, when I say his way, I mean the oh band. Um, but I think this is, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have direct communication with anybody in the band, but, but I would say that, uh, they're, they're proud of this album. I think that this is one that stands out for them. Uh, if anybody wants to, uh, if any band members want to, you know, get in touch, <laughs> tweet the show, tell, tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. But, um, I think this is something that they were, uh, super pumped about. Anyway, great song. Um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts on an inch an hour or the, the well, album as I, I think we're, I think we're at the point where we can give our thoughts on this album. So John, I'll go to you and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish off, but sure. I just want to I want to pound out uh, a couple. Uh, I've got them termed as best of the rest. These things are just usually just standalone one-liners um, for me. Um, fire in the hole. He says, um, you know, proof is as cold as water through the roof. I just love that. Yeah. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of being being in your bed and being disturbed in this way. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Let's see, uh, in emergency, he says, at a shadowy table out past the sentence's end. Mm-hmm. 
is that to mean it's beyond what he's written? <laughs> I yeah. just thought that was great. Um, Titanic Terrarium, there's still roaches and ants in here. So resourceful and clever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so good, so good. Um, and then, like in Impossibilium, but your your finger starts to wiggle, landscapes emerge. Before I knew that this was about uh, painting, which I, it clearly is, uh, this lyric kind of has a magical quality to it and, and sort of ties back to Weatherman wet fingers the sky and pokes it out and pulls it in. And, you know, uh, it just it just seemed to be something that was a part of uh, hip lore for me. But this specific explanation makes way more sense. So yeah. those are the things that jumped out to me. I just, I, you know, I've been listening to this album on repeat for a long time here. And, and these are the things I, I wanted to mention. So, so Brad, yeah. I'll, Brad, I'll give you the last word. I just want to jump in and have a couple yep. of final thoughts on the album. Um, first of all, I think this is the album where, Gordon and the band are embracing the role of the artist. I don't think I don't see that as a negative kind of connotation with the a negative connotation. I think they are shedding a lot of kind of the rock and blues basics uh, yeah. to to embrace the notion that they are the artists. And I think lines like uh, when uh, my fingers wiggle, landscapes emerge. I think that's like it's. Uh, that's a pretty confident, that's a pretty cocky line, right? That's mm -hmm. like saying, you know what? I'm the artist here. You guys are here to see us mm -hmm. and we stroke you and this is kind of, this yeah. is what we do. So you sit back and you enjoy it yeah. or not. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think the band knew that their popularity was quite strong in Canada, but I think they just stopped giving a shit about growing the popularity at the expense of the music they wanted to make. And I think exactly. that provided the, them, the, the voice to create, uh, their most interesting album. To me, I think this is their, their best album. I think it's the most interesting. Oh, he yeah. did it. He said it. He did yeah. it. Wow. Heart trophy. Con Smythe wrapped up into one. Wow. Um, Canadian podcast. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that we're just like, we're passing over songs like an inevitability of death. Yeah. This to me yeah. is like a, that's a chugger. How that's not a banger. I have no idea. Fire in the hole is hey. a banger. I think greasy jungle. That's, I think that's a phenomenal, phenomenal song. I kind of, I thought someone was maybe going to do it today, but yeah, uh, maybe Thug. I misremembered. Thugs the fact is a that great Thugs song. Didn't get talked about. Yeah. There's so many that we could have done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of lyrically. I think that uh, this album is at the height of of the game. I think musically, it's so interesting, uh, so different. I kind of disagree, almost to a point that the albums would start to sound like this one. Uh, what she said in the in the intro, Brad. But I think yeah. that this marks kind of the diverging path of albums up to a certain point when yeah. they. Yeah, uh, yeah. Th so I think this kind of lot, everything was kind of going in a very similar direction for a while, and then I think kind of the 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 path just split into the forest, and there's many different kind of veins to take. I guess that. that's what that's what you could say is it's like this is the changing point, and from here things will not. 
remain the same, you know? Yeah, it's, for sure. They're, they're, they're really starting to explore what they're going to be as a band. Yeah. So anyway, like, I, I fully uh, and completely understand that this is not the... Fate. No, if you were to take a survey, yeah, <laughs> they're, sh they're shaking their head, you know. But uh, I took it. I liked it. Uh, I liked it. Anyway, I f I fully uh, or agree that if you surveyed, you know, all the hip fans out there, this would not be number one. I don't think that this would stand as the number one. It'd probably be up there. It'd probably be top five. But uh, probably a very low percentage of people would say that this is their best or this is their favorite, but yeah. I'm one of those people. You're so brave. Yeah. I'm a brave. Yeah. I'm a brave individual. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is interesting in that way, Steve, and I'll just, I'll, we'll, we'll move to the wrap up here, but I think that's a good point because I think it, it let people know that they are going to be doing things their own way and they are going to mm -hmm. be doing different things and that you're not just going to get fully completely road apples to for the next albums you know they really kind of made a, a point i think and that's i think what i meant with the line in the sand of like look, look at we're we're going to keep growing we're going to keep going as a band and it will be different it will be we're not going to be afraid to do something different um and i think you know the length of this podcast just shows you how important this album is and how much there is to discuss so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, but uh, like I said before, if you're new to the hip and you're listening to this podcast, this is a, a I think a, an important album to dig your teeth into and to take a listen to and see what they're doing because it was definitely a shift in uh, the sound of the band, and there's a lot of really great tracks on here. Don't let John's pessimism <laughs> deter you. <laughs> but uh well we've already got steve's we already got steve's answer john you've already given your answer previously as to what the best hip album is so i guess it's on me um this is not the best for me uh and again i kind of take that to be as as my favorite mine is yet to come so mm. if there's uh anything else i think uh i think we've covered day for night pretty can... completely Great to chat with you guys. Pretty Very completely. Long. I see what you did there. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to everyone who's listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back next time with Trouble in the Hen House. Yeah? It's going to be great. At the Hen House. Yeah. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of the show. Please do go check out the website, hipcast.readerroom.ca. Leave us a comment and find links there to subscribe to the show. We also want to extend a big thanks to Sebastian Abood for all the podcast artwork. Please check out his website at sebastianabood.com. That's Sebastian, A-B-B-O-U-D.com. This show is produced by Matt Wacky. Check out his portfolio and all the other projects that he works on at meterroom.ca. The show is co-produced by myself, Brad Van Perdon. You can check out my work at bradleyvanperdon.wordpress.com or get in touch with me on Twitter or Instagram at bvanperdon. 
Many thanks again for all the listeners, and to my co-hosts Steve Bard and John Gronin, we will catch you next time.